Travel documentary footage combined to explore Caribbean ex the Caribbean experience in Vancouver and exploring racism in the 1960s with a credit to your race and uh, much more, including free tickets to see Problem Child and the End of Civilization at the Telus Studio Theater. So stay with us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for February the 8th, 2012. The Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews here on CITR 101.9 FM and online at CITR.ca. Sorry about that little silence there. We've got some special programming uh, today, so we're kind of jumping around um, on, on the fly to make Literally, did you hear that? There was jumping. Anna, come on. And uh, Megan, Megan T is here. Hey, Megan hey. T. Can I call you Megan T? Please don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Megan Thomas. Well, there isn't another Megan in the room, so there's no real reason to distinguish me from other Megans. I suppose there's no need to differentiate no. the T from any other letter. Yes. Anyway, what do we have on the show today? We have a great show, and it's all about... Uh, Black History Month. Black History Month, because uh, CITR is doing some special programming uh, to uh, honor uh, Black History Month, so... Well, to honor Black History. Yeah. What's the difference? <laughs> well, one of them is honoring event, and one of them is honoring <laughs> a month in the calendar. <laughs> the, the amazing contributions of Black and African Canadians. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, it's really uh, interesting and exciting. Sometimes I feel uncomfortable saying uh, Black because I'm afraid that mm -hmm. it's like um, no longer an acceptable term. I think it is. I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm I mean, not it's still speak called, on behalf it's not, of people's feelings. It's not it. African um, Diaspora History Month. It's well, I think it's uh, still Black History Month. Some so people, you, yeah, they okay. refer to it as you know. I think there's an overlap there, but I think that uh, as far as I understand, uh, Black is perfectly acceptable, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's more about specificity. So you have there's a uh, a specific Black. American experience with a very specific history. Mm -hmm. There's a history of emancipation, and uh, uh, which is shared by, but not Exclusive the exact too. same by people who are, for example, recent immigrants from yes. the African diaspora. Uh, you also have, you know, uh, black people from around the world that aren't African. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different terms, and I think it uh, behooves everyone to go out and uh, you know educate themselves and ask people. Just ask. Ask people. If, yeah, I, I just. What do you mean? Well, if I'm speaking to someone who is, uh, you know, someone who is a person of color and, you know, I'm you know, interested uh, in their background and we're chatting or something, mm -hmm. I, I would just wish ask them about things like that. I find it really interesting, people's different perspectives, and hmm. everyone has different feelings, and I think people should respect that and uh, uh, follow up with uh, the person's preferences, whatever they may be. Megan, you seem very knowledgeable on this topic. Do I detect that you studied... Uh um, race and gender and things like that? Yeah, I did uh, uh, race and media and uh, a lot of critical theory in school. But uh, we also just had a diversity workshop at CITR, which was uh, very, very interesting. And uh, one of the things, and this applies to uh, race or ethnicity, uh, even people, how they use the terms race and ethnicity, there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of history behind that, uh, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. uh, gender... Um, differently, ableness, anything uh, is you. It's all about the person. You're a person first, um, and the other things that describe you uh, are interesting and important, 
um, but are not, you know, your essence. So, a uh, person of uh, color, I think, is something I use. Um, and if anyone were ever to correct me that they don't prefer that, then I, then I would just uh, absolutely be fine with using something else. Um, yeah, it's always about the person first and uh, allowing that person to express who they are um, first and foremost before uh, having to express uh, these other parts that are important but may not necessarily, they may not feel like those things define them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what that kind of opens the door to is a, is a discussion about, like, I don't know, let's say the legitimacy or the, I don't know, appropriateness of... of the effectiveness, maybe. Mm. Let's use that word of of Black History Month, mm-hmm. or giving, um, dedicating a month to, mm-hmm. um, you know, a certain group, um, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. I think we should definitely talk about it. And I think if we were, if anyone was listening on the lead up to the arts report, uh, Kim Foley, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, a really lovely talk on the history of Black History Month and what it means now, and um, you know, CITR has a stance on that as well, and it's. Uh, it's all about doing your best to celebrate histories that are might otherwise be unrecognized or unknown, mm-hmm. um, uh, but that it's uh, it is a, a interesting and ambiguous territory, and people have different views on it, which are all valid. So uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully we'll get to get into that a little deeper later. Cool. Um, other things we will get to in the show is uh, we'll talk about skins and steel which is a unique uh, multidisciplinary event coming to the Van City Theatre with the help of the City of Vancouver, and that's coming on uh, Thursday, February 9th at 7 p.m. And uh, Skins and Steel is, first of all, a celebration of um, Afro-Caribbean culture. So there will be um, uh, Trinidadian folkloric music of the groundbreaking Afro-Caribs, and um, and other musical events, and as well, there will be documentary uh, clips or excerpts uh, from the the CBC Vault, where um, and and this is from the 1950s and 60s in Vancouver, um, and so there's a really interesting look at um, Afro Caribbean, um, you know, cultural um, entrances Profit. into Vancouver. Ah. Uh. And, uh, and how that was um, sort of taken in by the mainstream culture. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. And, Megan, you'll be telling us about a book. Yeah. Um, uh, I read this uh, earlier in the year. And a uh, fantastic short novel, novella by uh, Truman Green, A Credit to Your Race. Uh, it was recently republished by Anvil Press as part of the Vancouver 125 Legacy Book Project. And uh, not only is it highly appropriate, but it's an excellent read. And uh, actually is a really good segue into that conversation we were talking about earlier. Um, just talking a little bit about Black History Month and, and what it is today and, and how it uh, works, both in the media and in education. So, cool. yeah, it's a, it's a both an enjoyable and an informative read. Nice. And um, I don't know, Anna, if we can play a bit of uh, our push music, but uh, before we get to all that exciting stuff, I thought we'd uh, do a little wrap-up on uh, the Push Festival one last time. So, as I'm sure you know, uh, artistic person in Vancouver who loves events, uh, the Push Festival just ended on February the 4th. Aww. Yeah, and they did very well. They had uh, approximately 20,000 people come to the various push events with an average house of 80%, which is successful. Fantastic. <laughs> I had to kind of quant- bring, it, bring it all quantifiable, 
Yeah. Well, art really breaks down in numbers, I think, is what we all know <laughs> about art. Um, art really, fundamentally, is all about the numbers. It's basically just about butts and seats, guys. <laughs> Let's just break this down. Everyone knows that. Everything else is just secondary. Bums and seats. Um, what else? And um, there was work presented from Canada, the U.S., United Kingdom, Spain, Japan, Lebanon, New Zealand, Argentina, the Netherlands, and Mexico. That's a long list. It's a long list and a, and a, a deep list for some reason. <laughs> it got deep there. And uh, what else can I tell you? It was... It was a lot of fun. Oh, one other thing I'd say is that um, uh, there was also a a holdover uh, due to popular demand. Do you want what I've got? A Ah. Craigslist cantata um, presented with the Arts Club Theatre Company has been held over until February the 18th. So if you are sad and in withdrawal that uh, the Push Festival has ended, you can still uh, get a little, little taste in there. Um, before it's completely gone, before February the 18th. And uh, that's at the Arts Club. So check out the Arts Club um, online and find uh, Craigslist Cantata, where they took uh, real Craigslist ads and uh, basically set them to music. You think it's Bill Richardson, right? From Bill the Richardson and uh, from the CBC and uh, Veda Hilly. Okay. And uh, actually, that's a good uh, plug for our podcast because uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we interviewed uh, Bill Richardson on this program. So if you want to find out a little bit more about what a Craigslist cantata is all about, then uh, check out our podcast by going do to CRTR.ca. Do we have to say it like that? I'm afraid you do. Okay. You will cantata. get fined. Thank cantata. you. Good. You'll be fine. You won't get fined. Good. <laughs> so those are so those are a few um, uh, highlights of the push to communicate the story and ideas, perhaps as effectively in its yeah the nuances, perhaps as effectively as that was done in in Lebanon in in Arabic, perhaps in Vancouver didn't quite mm-hmm. punch through, right? Right, and that was uh, well, it was not just that show. There were two other shows: one from Argentina and another one from Mexico. They had subtitles. Yes, and, and that's I, the one that. that I, I saw uh, the one from Argentina, uh, which is, uh, and help me out, El Pasado. Es un animal grotesco. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. And that translates to? The, the past is a grotesque animal. Yeah. And um, there was, again, I found to be a, a barrier. Um, <laughs> I think for, and I'll tell you why. Principally, uh, here's the biggest thing. They had this rotating platform Mm -hmm. that was divided into, you know, in pieces like a pie. Yeah, we can't see your hands, remember? Yes, so so it was divided. I'm using my hands to make an X shape (laughs) to show that a pie has been uh, cut into four. like a cartoon, which is what all pies look like. (laughs) (laughs) And each uh, piece of this pie was like a room Mm -hmm. with like a bed or a TV. And And it just rotated, like, throughout the entire production. And in each room were different people living their lives. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one person would narrate, um, you know, let's say a couple is in the room, uh, and a third person would be narrating. And then that third person would disappear, and when the platform would rotate, that person was having their life, and a a person from the first scene was narrating their scene. So they Mm -hmm. all took turns narrating each other's scenes. So the format sounds very, very interesting. So interesting, right? So you could see, like, oh, this is perfect for push, because it's all about experimental performing arts and, and very, you know, modern techniques and stuff like that. But here's the thing, these narrators, they all spoke in a way that was very deadpan and mm-hmm. was very uh, dry. Mm-hmm. And I am absolutely sure, although I am not a native Spanish speaker, but I'm absolutely sure it's awesome and hilarious and very uh, punchy um, because of the dialogue. So they're, they're speaking very monotonously, but they're talking about, you know, like sexual tastes and like 
um, the nuances of daily life and just like really, you know, just like really provocative and poetic things are being said, but they're delivered in this very mm-hmm. um, dry and so, uh, so, sort of undercutting kind of and way. And you connect that to the translation or the direction? What do you mean? Do I what? Oh, I was just I was just interested in in their so they're they are narrating in English. No, no, no. This is all in Spanish. Oh, okay. That's why I say I'm not. Oh, I see. But, so even though I'm not a Spanish speaker, I could tell mm-hmm. that it probably is super effective in Spanish, mm-hmm. and that could be the, a directorial choice because of the tension between how they're what they're saying and yeah. how they're saying it. Okay. Yeah, and the fact that they're right there and they're like breathing, and you know these actors are like, you know living and breathing the their female. lives. Yeah, moves towards the male, like kind David Attenborough. A okay. little bit, a little bit. Um, but, but unfortunately, we don't. Most of us in the audience do not speak Spanish, mm-hmm. so it's hard for us to gather. If we're not catching every word mm-hmm. on the subtitle screen, then we don't have a lot more to go on from from the narrator's voice to help us understand what's going on in mm-hmm. the scene, and so. So I can I can sort of understand their trouble at the producers when they you know somebody probably went to Argentina saw this great play or you know knows this person's work and says oh my god you're gonna have a rotating platform with people living their lives and then narrating their their stories genius but maybe they didn't quite make that connection that logistically we're gonna have to communicate to English speakers okay we'll get two TVs up wait there's a lot of dialogue it's gonna move fast no it'll be fine you know and and somewhere along that way I think that s- something was lost because with a movie it's all it's all encapsulated in one. Yeah, piece of vision. Uh, you know, it almost seems as if in that case you might market towards people who are either native Spanish speakers or honestly, um, or maybe not native but no Spanish, mm-hmm. or honestly just don't, that are willing to be so experimental as to just watch it in Spanish. <laughs> With you no subtitles, I mean? yeah. Like, go one way or the other. Either translate yeah. exactly. it or just present exactly. it. And, and people can decide whether they want to experience it with or without the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's more of a marketing issue than because it's also a visual barrier. I mean, I've I've heard I heard one person was there, and first they had problems to start the show with technical problems, I think, with the rotating stage or something, and then the subtitles at some point of the thing just just turned off. Oh, really? Yeah. So they missed a chunk, right? Of it too, mm-hmm. and then some people left mm-hmm. the theater too. So it makes you think, well, yeah, they're sitting there and there's, you know, oh, yeah, it's great. It's a rotating stage. And, oh, they're, they're switching. The narrator keeps moving around. Mm-hmm. Like, visually, it's entertaining and you understand the, the technical challenge mm-hmm. of the show. But you miss the whole point. Like, yeah. this and is the content, the, the theme, the subject matter, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the acting itself, it's all lost. Then it's really, well, why bring theater that can't be understood fully as So maybe theater? an English production and a Spanish production so that you can experience it, maybe go twice. You know, or, or, if, or you, if you do want international content, like, do dance. Or yeah. do something that doesn't rely on language. That's something that speaks universally. That's the whole point of arts. Is that it's we universal. Don't need, yeah, we do not need mm. a common language to understand yeah. other things honestly. Yeah, we don't need something to mediate for us. If and, you really want to use theaters, you can have music and dance and other forms of communication. Because yeah. I don't need to speak Spanish to hear a Spanish song and go and think that it's yeah, wonderful exactly. and appreciate it for, for what exactly. it's worth. Yeah, you still may miss a layer, that, but you'll still, you'll still get the essence right. of that. Right, and that's what I'm worried about is that, that I think with some of these shows this year, too many layers were mm-hmm. lost instead yeah. of just one or two, which mm-hmm. we should expect because it is a language 
language barrier, and we'll take that risk, you know, that we're losing a, one layer or two. But I think we lost more than half, <laughs> more than fifty percent, if we quantify this, yeah. of the layers were lost. Well, it's all about numbers. <laughs> so we... I think we've established that. <laughs> all right. So, so that's so to sum it up, I would say for the for the 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 producers, the curators, let's call them, and for the audiences, four years in the future, um, let's. Let's all work harder. Uh, being, <laughs> international, being international with international be, shows be also a great advantage to bring other forms of And that's a big thing right? about Push right. that I love, is that yeah. they're bringing the world to Vancouver, the world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the world arts from the world. And the world is full of many other things other than theater and spoken dialogue. Yeah. Narrated theater. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so we'll leave it there. Bye-bye, Push. Okay, one last time. Goodbye, oh. Push. See you next Everybody. year. Love the song. One last time. I mean, I love Push Festival. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Push 2012. Huge success. Okay, so uh, before we get on with the rest of the show, I do want to let you all know that we are giving uh, a pair of tickets away to see uh, Problem Child and the End of Civilization, both by George F. Walker, and those are coming to the Chan Center for Performing Arts, the Tyler Studio Theater, to be precise, and that's running from uh, February 9th until the 18th, and I'm told we can be flexible with those dates, uh, except maybe the opening. Uh, let's stay away from that one, because it's, uh, it's busy. It's busy, mm-hmm. so it's hard. But other than the opening, um, flexible dates, tickets for you. Uh, so call us anytime. Except right now. What I mean is, I'll give you the number right now, and uh, a little bit later in the show, um, we'll open it up as a free-for-all, and you can call in anytime. And that number is 604-822-2487. UBC CI here. Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> so that's a little later, later in the show. So check out uh, Problem Child and the End of Civilization. You can go to... Oh, boy. Uh... Oh, shoot, sorry, I don't have the address in front of me. <laughs> yes, I do. Theater.ubc.ca, there it is. And, uh, and get more information on uh, the, these shows <laughs> and uh, everything that uh, Theater at UBC is putting on this season. Stop scowling at me, Megan. I'm not scowling, I'm laughing at you. That's the difference. I know, but I'm they can't very, see you. My face, very happy right now at your misfortune. Technically, that's true. <laughs> that's true, but they can't see you, so I can say scowling, and yeah, they but will then think I'm you're right scowling. You don't, you don't understand. I can just... <laughs> Just, I can just deny that. I don't understand. All right, so let me tell you uh, about uh, Skins and Steel. Fantastic. I'm excited about it. Okay, so uh, a few months ago, uh, this, this event w- is, was first uh, put on in, in uh, Vancouver, but, and uh, Vanessa Richards, who is a multidisciplinary artist, um, created um, this whole project, and so it's cool to see that it's back. It's, uh, it's getting a revival um, thanks to uh, the city of Vancouver, in honor of Black History Month, and uh, Skins and Steel celebrates the early pioneers of Caribbean drumming and dance in the mid-20th century in Vancouver. And so this event, which is uh, going down Thursday, February 9th, which is tomorrow, features the Trinidadian folkloric music of the groundbreaking Afro-Caribs, along with singer-dancer Thelma Gibson from the legendary Gibson family of Hogan's Alley. Kendrick Headley, a steel pan virtuoso, considered one of the finest soloists and big band arrangers, for the unique instrument will accompany and others and as i mentioned before um uh, the live performances are mixed in with archival footage featuring the the artists um, from the vaults of the cbc and so i spoke to vanessa richards and uh 
we talked about how this whole idea um, came together to to use um, archival footage and mix it with live music um, to tell the, the the story of um, Afro Caribbean uh, culture in Vancouver from from the 60, 50s and sixties um, onward. So we talked uh, about a lot of things, and uh, including um, something really interesting: the idea of the exoticization of uh, particularly the black male in in uh, North American white culture, um, and also hand in hand with like the hype like what i mean by uh exoticization is um another way of putting it is a hypersexualization mm-hmm. so treating as as uh, the Man black male what's that i think uh the reference i remember is the is and we'll look this up during the break but i believe it's the, the mandingo and it's a it's a specific mandingo. it's a specific uh character kind okay. of trait yeah. yeah we'll look it up i'll double check maybe i'm wrong it's like a character type i keep forgetting this is live Come on, Megan. Jeez. But anyway, that's what it brought to mind, which was a, it's a, a you know, it's like this representation, like you're saying, of, of the highly sexualized. It's like a black male. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very interesting um, issue. Yeah. And we also talked about um, what it's like to grow up um, mix, mixed race and, mm-hmm. and being mixed race and sort of the consequences um you know, for your identity mm-hmm. when you are that. But first, um, we talked about how um, Vanessa Richards um, first was um, uh, inspired to to put this event on when um, when it was th- the idea of uh, multiculturalism mm-hmm. uh, was how this was um, sort of all started up. That that she was working on something multicultural, and so she um, started there. And then the more she thought about it. Um, realized she had something sort of sitting right on her lap, which mm-hmm. is the, the story of, of her own father. I started to whittle it down and whittle it down until I was like, you know what, I think my father's story is pretty darn interesting. And I've, actually, when you called me, I was looking at a CBC footage of a television series they had called Heritage. Mm-hmm. And um, Eleanor Collins was the singer. And Dalma Gibson and her brothers are in this. And it's a story about a black church in Edmonton. And there's all these personal histories that the CBC archives have that are pretty fascinating. And um, my family also was in that Heritage series. And it was a one show called And They Too Shall Be One Flesh. It was about interracial, so-called interracial marriages uh, and people's opinions of them mm-hmm. at that time. And it featured my father and his mates drumming and dancing. And myself as a child and my brother as a child grocery shopping (laughs) 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 with our parents. And um, it's a pretty, pretty rich trove of stuff they've got. So I'm going to be showing um, the documentary that my parents were featured in. I'll be showing another CBC archive from the show Bambula, Mm -hmm. which uh, Eleanor Collins was the guest star in that. And again, Thelma and her brother's. Uh, Len Gibson and Chick Gibson were featured as dancers and I mean there was other dancers in that show because there wasn't a lot of black folks in the city dancing at that period Mm -hmm. they had people of European descent in blackface which at the time in 1954 was straight make it happen kind of attitude right Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to see the differences and then and then the videotape or the, the film that I have that I'll be showing to you that to see what's changed around um people's attitude on race mixing, if you will, 
Mm-hmm. I like to say that it always reminds me of a bread mixer. <laughs> and um, and then you'll see my father dancing this pretty incredible folk dance. The dance, it's a snake dance, the mm-hmm. dance of Yandalu, which is like a snake god. And um, he won't be dancing on the, the 10th and 11th, but they'll be singing and they'll be drumming. And um, I'll sing with my father. And Thelma will also be singing. And... Um, yeah, it'll be kind of, I think it'll be kind of remarkable to look at these artists 50 years ago. I'm really interested in just the great contributions that artists make every day, whether or not they've become celebrities. Uh, and I think there's a real integrity to that. And so what I'm hoping people will experience was is not only a piece of Vancouver history and, and likely one that they may not have been parlayed to, or they may have, because at that time in the 50s and 60s, there was a whole kind of Caribbean explosion, and particularly around dance, there was a choreographer, Catherine Dunham, who went on to do really, really great work in advancing work uh, dances of the African diaspora into contemporary dance, and she Mm. took the main stage all over the world with these kinds of dances, so that was the culture the sort of um, cultural culture of the time. And, you know, with Harry Belafonte and the Calypso craze of the time, mm-hmm. people had a, had a listening for it. Right, they had an open mind to, to that kind of stuff, which actually maybe surprises me a little bit because, uh, you know, you were talking about the, the blackface, for example, and it makes me, I mean, that that fits the stereotype of, you know, the 1950s, you know, that it was yeah. that was a time that it was much more sort of racist and, and homogenous as, in terms mm-hmm. of a society. Uh, but but you're saying that actually there was a sort of um, cultural awakening or, or a, a bigger interest in... Well, in I think it was probably mixed. Mm-hmm. I think there was probably a healthy dose of exoticization and otherness. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, I kind of always hold my breath when I look at this videotape of my father dancing and the one of the things my mother told me at the time when they were shooting that was you know the hypersexualization of the black male was has been well in place for hundreds of years now so my mother as a woman of european descent what the people said to her watching my father dance mm-hmm. and all the implications that that had in terms of uh, sexual prowess for people at the time my mother was pretty disturbed by some Mm. of the things that were said to her that day particularly but at the same time you know um the civil rights movement and the folk music movement there was this growing appreciation for the work the artwork of common people and i think that pete seeger and the civil rights songs of the civil rights movement really helped validate some things that perhaps people thought as quaint before or mm-hmm. or not as worldly as the more sophisticated kinds of arts. Hmm, I don't mean sophisticated like that. I mean the kind, uh, you know, how it's typical for some people to maybe class. Maybe like uh, higher higher status forms? Yes. You know, like yes. ballet or something, people think, oh, that's, that's a, a, you know, a, a fancy form of artwork or art yes. compared to something else. So I think there was there was there was an opening for for equity around the value of common people's making 
remarkable work in those days, too. Right. So I think it was a bit of a mix and blend from what I've read in terms of like uh, and around ethnomusicology and what I've heard from my family. And I wasn't there at the time, but also um, <laughs> hi, hypothesizing on what I understand about people and, and especially people's dominant culture's relationship to exotic other kinds of cultures, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the Vancouver stuff, it's so it's so wild because they ask the man on the street, they're like, would you let your daughter, would you let, in that 1960s voice, <laughs> would you let your daughter marry an Oriental or colored man? <laughs> and um, people have some very different things to say about that. And I'll tell you what, one of my favorites is, well, there's an old fellow on the street. Well, yeah, I think I would. You know, if there was true love there, if there was really true love, yeah, yes, I think I would. Aww. Well, as long as they didn't have children. <laughs> so true love is so important, but they can't have kids. Yeah. Oh, my and God. so, you know, my work as an artist, uh, I've always been pretty fascinated with this idea of identity politics for all peoples, like I find everybody's personal history and the legacy of their families and how each family's traveled all over the globe to arrive wherever they've got arrived, pretty darn interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my case, being a person of mixed ancestry, there's a couple of popular myths that don't really suit me. And one of them is the tragic mulatto. And that was what what a lot of the concern at the time was and continues to be a concern hmm. for some people. Well, they won't know who they are. And in my experience, and I know there are, I, you know, I know personally people that have had uh, difficulty finding a place for themselves in their minds or in their experiences that they encounter. But I know quite a few others who have not, and myself, I haven't had <laughs> great difficulty um, placing myself in the world. And I always feel pretty proud of my parents for how they managed to share their own cultures of, you know, Austrian and Viennese and Trinidadian and and Canadian cultures Mm -hmm. and values and traditions in our home and um, in our homes afterwards. And so I think it's just kind of interesting to look at how the role of culture brings people to cities. Like there's artists right now in our city who have come here to pursue their artwork from any number of places. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's a mobilizing force over the planet. And it's, not unlike the bards of of old and you know the troops of yesteryear and i Mm -hmm. find it kind of a a beautiful history to get here and that's vanessa richards uh telling us about skins and steel coming uh, thursday february 9th at 7 p.m to the van city theater with uh assistance and support from the city of vancouver and to get tickets you can go to the VIF website, which is V-I-F-F dot org. And are you right there? <coughs> no. Yeah, okay. okay. That's what I thought. And uh, tickets are uh, $12. And the date here is <laughs> February 23rd. Is that even a date? <laughs> anyway, check out the website. <laughs> well, one page says uh, Thursday, February 9th. But this other page says uh, February 23rd. So there are possibly two separate screenings, so definitely do check out the website, which is VIF, V-I-F-F dot O-R-G. Um, while we uh, were playing that interview, uh, Megan uh, did a little research 
into uh, Mandango because we were talking about the hypersexualization of the black male that uh, Vanessa mentioned in the interview, and you mentioned uh, Man Mandingo. Mm -hmm. What what is it? Yes, yeah, so I was remembering correctly, more or less. Uh, it's a it's a film from the seventies, uh, where based on a, a novel uh, and a play. And anyway, it it basically was this one of the few or first or something to that effect large uh, budget Hollywood you know major motion pictures where where it was uh, what you know people can refer to as an exploitation film, which and I mean in a more ultimate sense rather than the kind of uh, those kind of ambiguous exploitation films where there is a powerful forward, but there, that, that type of hypersexualization is found in those later exploitation films as well. But uh, Yeah, in fact, Quentin Tarantino has cited Mandingo as one of the only two instances mm -hmm. in the last 20 years that a major studio made a full-on gigantic big-budget mm -hmm. exploitation movie. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's basically um, become Quite kind a of a symbol of that idea of the oh, like hypersexualized black male right, and, and the, the white, preying on the white female. And this was right. actually, I mean... It's not just uh, in media. I mean, this was a, a problem all throughout, um, you know, pre and post civil rights America. Like right. uh, 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 the 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 fear, you know. Of right. Actually, I know even during the as far back as the Civil War and before, you know, there would be marches and and uh, through towns going, we don't want. Uh, black men preying on our daughters, you know, mm -hmm. you know, with huge yeah. like and I think posters saying that, you know, a, a, as an argument for uh, secession from the north, that kind of stuff. So. I don't, I, and I don't like pushing it to those types of issues too far back because I think it it um, undermines like how much of that type of uh, sentiment actually still exists today, which is really right, right, scary. Right. And right. it's it's suppressed, and it's sometimes, and it's um, but you know, you only need to look to the reception of you know, President Obama to see that, that type of real ugliness bubbling mm -hmm. up. So I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Black History Month, though not enough, uh, is, is still very important. Cool. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will have more on Black History Month. And we'll talk about A Credit to Your Race by Truman Green. So stay with us. Are you walking to class? Are you grabbing a coffee? Got lunch hour to kill? We invite you to fill the silence of your day with the sound of some live music. Music on the mind? UBC's newest student concert initiative invites the School of Music out of the concert hall into the schoolyard. Ten concerts at five venues on one campus. Let's get music on the mind at UBC. For more information, visit ubcmusiconthemind.com. Sponsored by CITR Radio, Vancouver, BC. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 11.9 FM. We're also streaming online at CITR.ca, and we're available as a podcast every week, a few hours after we air here. Uh, we're available on CITR.ca. Just follow the links from shows to podcast and then the letter A for Arts Report, or skip all that and go to iTunes and just type in the Arts Report. But you want to go to CITR.ca because there's tons of good stuff there. There's a lot of good stuff about upcoming events because mm -hmm. um, CITR is involved in a lot of uh, shows, like pr helps promote a lot of cool uh, shows all around town. So mm -hmm. you're right. It's a good place to go, CITR. I like CITR. it a lot. I like it a lot. All right. So uh, we're talking about Black History Month, and um, we have a book to tell you about mm -hmm. called A Credit to Your Race by Truman Green. Yeah. And uh, Megan, you read this book 
Yes, I have read this book. <laughs> I feel like a lawyer. To begin, ma'am. You would be surprised have you read how many this reviewers book? and interviewers have not finished or barely started. So it book. is a good place to start. Can you confirm or deny that you read, read this it, novel? I read it all. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, go for it. A Credit to Your Race, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was republished by Anvil Press, uh, Vancouver 125 Legacy Book Project. And this is important because it uh, really does highlight the fact that this is a part of Vancouver's legacy, um, both in terms of it being an amazing book written, uh, but also that it really highlights a, a specific part of, well, the Lower Mainland's history that may not be at the forefront of people's minds. Right. So, you, were, you were saying uh, when we were in the break how uh, the conversation gets kind of steered toward like the American Civil Rights mm-hmm. Movement mm-hmm. or the American Civil War, but there's there's a, not, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening up here that, to talk yeah. about. Yeah. And uh, so A Credit to Your Race is uh, a reference to and and is really highlighted in this book as a theme, the idea that many of the characters uh, believe themselves to be open-minded or progressive, mm-hmm. um, that, that they could even see value in a person of color. So you're a credit to your race. You really make your... You're so smart and well-mannered, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's that where you've come a certain amount, you know, it's the 60s, you've come a certain amount of progress has happened, but uh, obviously those feelings are still there, and it, that's obviously still very hurtful and uh, demeaning. Right, because you're still in that box. They've mm-hmm. put, they put you in this sort of marginalized position and they're saying, you're very, very good considering that you're in this box. Yes, and it's also, uh, you know, wants you to be complicit. It, it demands that you be complicit in their racism. Right. So you, to accept that compliment means that you are then being actually right. racist against other people in your Ooh, same situation. Tricky. Yeah, it get, um, it's, it's much like when... Um, if, you know, if anyone says, if there are people who, in your circle, uh, whoever you may be listening at home, who say something that, you know, is racist, and uh, on the one hand, you didn't say it, but on the other hand, they're forcing you to be complicit. So mm-hmm. that's that's why those types of things are, are not just insulting to the people they're insulting, but they are also forcing you to either take As a, a stand or accept yeah. it. So okay. what you do is your choice, obviously, but um, I usually take it, try to take a stand. Um, anyway, so I want to talk about this book. Because there are a lot of issues, but the book itself is excellent. Um, mm-hmm. It is the story of uh, Billy Robinson, mm-hmm. um, and he is about 15. It's about the 1960s in Newton, Surrey. Mm-hmm. So most of the story takes place there. Um, and it also references Vancouver as the big city. Um, yeah, because I suppose back then Surrey was mm-hmm. not quite what it is today. No SkyTrain line and yeah. no No, it uh, was uh, you know, a day's yet. journey and stuff. You have to take the bus all the way. A day's <laughs> journey? <laughs> It was it was a day. If you wanted to go to Vancouver, it was it was like you're going out for the day to Vancouver. You Get know, on your horse. you're not pop, you're not popping back and forth. Uh, you know, a few times. So, yeah, but uh, no, I mean, obviously, it wasn't yeah. that bad. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that there's a real separation there. And um, what I find interesting is that it uh, is from the point of view of this young man who. Uh, is very intelligent, um, but he's still a young man. You know, he's not exactly sure how to express himself. Uh, the the way that adults are acting towards him, he knows that it's it's wrong, and he knows mm-hmm. that it's ignorant. Um, but of course, uh, even just as a youth, let alone as a black youth, you're you're in a position to have to accept these kind of um, points of view. And he actually does really navigate these. What is he going to react to? What is he going to accept? Um, the main story is that he's in love with his neighbor Mary. <laughs> Uh, who is not black, and uh, it's that it's a point in time where um, 
they can be together but the pressure to not be together and the the fallacies that are out there about what their child might you know be in the world and and the extreme prejudice of her father um like he was fine with them being friends when they were little kids but now you know he's um, he's an adult male in his mm-hmm. eyes and, and that's not appropriate so that's kind of references what we were talking about earlier about yeah. the sexualization mm-hmm. um and it's it's his thoughts and feelings and, and what i really liked about it um was that uh it really was very direct now in the back of the this edition it's really interesting truman green the author uh, there's an interview with him uh-huh. And uh, it, this was never accepted by a major publisher. He self-published, or rather, uh, small uh, Simple Thoughts Press uh, published it, which were some mm, friends of his in '73. No, that's because it wasn't it accepted was, by major. It was publishers? rejected uh, yeah. by major publishers because of they said the the you know they didn't think it was publishable. Hmm. Uh, even CBC rejected it to make it into a play mm-hmm. at first, apparently because uh, he what he did say things too directly, and they weren't sure how to externalize his thoughts and emotions and Truman um, makes this very funny uh, quip about well they must have not read Anne Frank's diary or Catcher in the Rye and uh, mm. you know those are big time comparisons but I can see it because of the way that he really vocalizes what it feels like at his level for him so it was a cheap excuse to say yeah. we couldn't oh we couldn't dramatize mm-hmm. you know your thoughts and feelings exactly it's like, come on it's been done and uh, <laughs> one of the other things that I found interesting too is that when you uh, you know, they're like you, you, you want to let the story, let people experience what mm-hmm. the characters experience through by putting them in that situation and description, etc. Show don't tell. That's the rule, okay. um, in, quote unquote, in film and novels. But one of the things that I uh, thought about while I was reading this was that you either have experienced this type of thing or you haven't. And mm-hmm. if you have experienced it, you'll relate. And if you haven't almost trying to trick people into relating to it like you want to tell them what it feels like for that person and then they can extrapolate to their own experiences but there's no way i'm ever going to be able to put myself in the place Mm -hmm. um and i think it's laudable to try but i think lots of people do that and this uh, there's different ways to express that type of thing Mm -hmm. so um uh, it, it, the simplicity and the directness and, and the kind of poignancy of his reactions to things and how frustrated he is and when he stands up for himself mm. is, uh, is is very moving. So I, I really enjoy that. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting is that I did contact Truman Gray for an interview. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, very nice. Uh, he was very polite, but he said that he wasn't uh, comfortable with promoting the book on this show because it was our Black History Month show. Right, so on the topic of... So hey, kind of a token black. episode within a token month, a little bit, let's just be honest. Uh, right, right. Um, at least uh, from his point of view is that philosophically he he wasn't uh, supportive because of the way that it... Um, and I think this is part of the ambiguous nature that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, you have this positive nature of highlighting facts and uh, cultural and historical focuses that you know may have been brushed aside um, by mainstream culture and history but on the other hand it very much demarcates this is the time when we think about this mm-hmm. and now i don't want to put words into his mouth but these are kind of the thoughts that this brought up from his uh from his very polite decline and we can talk to him another time um but it also demarcates this as a time to think about these issues that really frees up space in the rest of the year to not have to do it you know? well and it's what you said uh, what you said earlier about how it almost um in a way supports discrimination you could argue that it supports discrimination if we create this little box mm-hmm. you know this little month yeah. or you know and you say and you say oh you know let's Let's talk about all these things for this time period. Yeah. It kind of legitimizes um, the mm-hmm. not talking it, of it, it at other times. It normalizes 
non Black History. <laughs> yeah. Right. And um, I so so he that's very interesting. So when we asked him. Uh, to, to, to be on the show for this, he, he politely said... Mm. Uh, it would be hypocritical not. of him to right. promote his book when he has these philosophical qualms, which I thought was uh, perfectly reasonable. That's really cool, and, uh, and I hope we can... Uh, let's talk about that a little yeah. bit more. Well, I, I talked to Robin, our programming director, mm-hmm. who is organizing... Are we doing PSAs? Uh, and, and I think uh, even, um, like I said, the talk that was on before the show mm-hmm. addressed this a little bit. And he uh, even said that um, he totally understands where that person's coming mm. from. And um, one of the reasons that, you know, as a media outlet, we celebrate Black History Month. Um, And uh, I'll just mention that it it was originally um, Negro History Week in 1926. um, Mm -hmm. And it actually became, uh, to do the the Canadian part of the Black History, uh, uh, in Canada, it became official status in 95. um, And through the efforts of the first black Canadian woman elected to Parliament, mm-hmm. the Honorable Jane Augustine, Jean Augustine, and Rosemary Sadler, president of the Ontario Black History Society. So that's the kind of the Canadian aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know, Robin said, yeah, it should be every month, and it shouldn't be about a month. Uh, or, for example, International Women's Day and Women's History Month and Asian History Month. I mean, mm-hmm. these are steps but are not enough. It's, it sh- we shouldn't have to have a month. It should be part of our day-to-day life that we accept and acknowledge and are interested in mm-hmm. the history of all the people that have built our country. Cool. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit more uh, after the break. But do you Absolutely. want to uh, maybe wrap up with um, uh, the book itself? Like, um, uh, any final thoughts uh, in terms of um, the, the book? Well, uh, I think one of the most moving things was that uh, at the end of... I don't want to ruin the book, you know, but basically <laughs> it's not a happy ending. Um, mm. It really shows this person's struggle and in many ways break some barriers and work hard, but it's not like everything works out for him and racism is solved. Um, <laughs> but it's this very specific... Um, they live happily ever after. It's this very specific, um, you know, kind of almost a... F- it's an analogy, but it's this very specific incident in this person's life. Um, and... Uh, it was very. It's it's a bit of a sad ending, but I think it's it's very moving, and mm-hmm. uh, it really. He talks about Vancouver, mm-hmm. and he talks about how well you know. I, he never heard about what was happening in Mississippi at that time, which was obviously extreme, mm-hmm. and and what people could be uh, persecuted for. Um, but, and and so in one hand, Canada looks good, but he, the you know it's not as violent. But there's a, a simmering beneath mm-hmm. the surface of how people treat, and I think that's something that we need to reflect on today. Cool. All right. So uh, we will take a bit of a break and, uh, and we'll talk more about um, Black History Month and, and, and talk a bit about uh, whether it's a good idea. Uh, Black History Month, pro or con? Um, <laughs> well, that is a terrible way to put it. Yes, like it is. <laughs> Globe and Mail billboards. <laughs> Multiculturalism, should we do it? <laughs> How dare you compare me to Globe and Mail? <laughs> Sorry. Canada's national newspaper. <laughs> Um, but uh, before we do, I do want to give those tickets away because uh, we haven't yet. So um, give us a call. We're gonna we're gonna take a, a break, and you can call us during the break. Um, and uh, this is uh, two two tickets to see Problem Child and the End of Civilization by George F. Walker, directed by Chris Robson. And uh, here's a little uh, synopsis. In these two blistering one act plays, a single seedy motel room houses the world of one of houses the world of one of Canada's most accomplished playwrights, George F. Walker. Fiercely funny and equally heartbreaking, Problem Child asks the question, how far would you go to get your baby back? 
Hold up in a cheap motel, two young parents impatiently await a so- social worker's verdict while fending off the antics of a drunken caretaker. And the evening's companion piece, The End of Civilization, is a gripping stage noir thriller about an average couple who are driven to cross legal and moral boundaries in order to avoid financial ruin. So that's happening uh, from February the 9th until the 18th at 7.30 p.m. at the Telestudio Theater at uh, the Chan Center here at UBC. So if you want those tickets, uh, give us a call during the break, uh, during the the PSA. And uh, the number to call us is 604-822-2487. So give us a ring. Two thousand eleven marks the twenty-fifth anniversary of the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Chinese Garden since opening in nineteen eighty-six. The Dr. Sun Yat-sen Chinese Garden is very pleased to have been able to connect cultures and communities for the past twenty-five years, and continue being an arts and cultural hub in the neighborhood and the city. Watch for complimentary specials on the twenty-fifth day of every month. There are also blockbuster exhibits, community events, academic conferences, and music and theater productions lined up, plus contests and giveaways. CITR 101.9 FM is proud to be a year-long partner as the Garden celebrates its 25th anniversary. For more information, visit www.vancouverchinesegarden.com. Show your friends of CITR card or simply mention that you heard about the Garden on CITR to receive $2 off admission. Norman Otis Richmond, a Toronto-based journalist, is one of the main advocates in Canada for the renaming of Black History Month as African Liberation Month. He is the longtime producer and host of the radio programs Saturday Morning Live, Diasporic Music, and From a Different Perspective. His words have been heard through the studios of CIUT, CHIN, CFNY, CBC, and CKLN, and read on countless newspapers and blogs. In 1992, Otis was the recipient of the Toronto Arts Award and dedicated it to Mumia Abu-Jamal, Asata Shakur, and Geronimo Pratt, the African National Congress of South Africa, Fidel Castro, and the people of Cuba. This PSA was brought to you in support of Black History Month on CITR 101.9 FM. And we're back on the Arts Report. Here on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're online as well at CITR.com. CA. So uh, CITR, over the past uh, little while, has been celebrating Black History Month. And uh, it came up uh, in when we were talking about A Credit to Your Race, a book by Truman Green, that, um, that Mr. Truman Green um, uh, elected uh, to not um, do an interview for this particular uh, Black History Month show because he basically sort of philosophically uh, disagrees with the idea. Mm. Which is uh, really interesting. So, so Megan, let's uh, let's let's jump into this this uh, this topic of um, whether Black History Month is maybe doing more harm. I'm already than good. out here swimming, Adam. <laughs> Come on in. The water is fine. So, I mean, what, the argument could be made that it, this sort of sets aside a month to uh, bring awareness to uh, a lack of um, of black. Uh, culture and and seeing black um, uh, people in uh, the media on TV on uh, on the radio and and saying look we've got to do um, a better job and we've got to um, you know show different Canadians and different Americans whatever um, make sure that those people are seeing themselves mm-hmm. in in media so so why not select a time February let's say <laughs> and devote more more content to that what's uh, what could be wrong with that. Well, I think that those things are all great, and I think even supporters of of, uh, the various uh, months and 
periods of time that are set aside to really focus on people who may not be focused on normally, uh, I would say that if that's successful, we shouldn't need it anymore. So it's one of those things that is a stepping stone. It's an mm-hmm. imperfect um, but necessary thing that we have to do because we're not doing enough day to day. And right. I think it's rep- it's it's both a step in the right direction, but it is also representative of something negative. And I think that's why uh, months like this, um, issues like multiculturalism and affirmative action mm-hmm. are uh, ambiguous and interesting and conflictual areas because, um, no, we shouldn't need those things. Mm-hmm. And in a way, they are... Um, you know, is in some ways it's a ghettoization of these different people. Right, a ghettoization, but, so like a get-out-of-jail-free card sort of for the majority culture of saying, okay, we'll set aside this time uh, and then we can stop yeah. and just go back to quote-unquote normal. Yeah, exactly. And I think what these months are an opportunity to do if if we approach them as best we can is to highlight the dearth of representation that we have and, and hopefully work towards moving it. So uh, I think that I think that uh, Truman Green... It, was it was really interesting, and I'm excited. He's going to be sending us some more thoughts. So I'm super excited to read more on him. I think it's a, a very important point of view. And maybe th- we'll have an interview with him. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. The the assumption I think also that's very important to par- point out, and this is actually part of how we um, lump people together, mm-hmm. is uh, you know when you say, "Oh, we're going to Black History Month," well, that is not an amalgamous group. Exactly. It's not heterogeneous. So um, it's not homogeneous. So I I think that. Uh, it's important to realize that not every person of color or every black person or African uh, Canadian is going to be necessarily on board and uh, or necessarily feel connected to that mm-hmm. celebration. It really is a media event um, in many ways, an important media and history event. And, you know, the media and the history is kind of dominated by <laughs> not black people, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting issue. And I'm so, I, I am glad that CITR is celebrating it, though, because it's, uh, it, it allows for these conversations, and that's the most important thing, I think. Nice. All right. Um, we are quickly running out of time on uh, today's uh, program, but uh, we would, we did want to tell you about um, some interesting stuff going on. And Anna, uh, maybe you could tell us about a couple Speaking of... Speaking of non-representative, <laughs> non-representative <laughs> groups... <laughs> yeah, the... Women. Yeah. Women. Um, <laughs> Perfect segue. That's next month, guys. <laughs> yeah, next. Though we outnumber in the studio today. Oh. Uh, we have uh-huh. outnumber actually pretty strongly in uh, yeah. Women are in the in CITR and, and in the general population. Um, women are technically the majority. Yeah. Well, yeah. not technically, they are. The majority. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My uh, oppressive male mind. <laughs> but yes, uh, it's oppressed majority. Yeah. Oppressed majority. Exactly. Yes. Well, real quick, because yeah, we have five minutes to go. I don't even know if real to real is happening. Anyway, we'll find out. It's anyway, exciting we'll here out. on the arts report. Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, two documentaries that are sh- screening uh, or showing uh, tomorrow, mm-hmm. and it's your only chance to see them on a big screen. But obviously, you can watch them online. Um, Orgasm Inc. Orgasm Inc. Yes, uh, this is from 2009, but it's screening tomorrow at uh, the. Um, uh, Where is it screening? Huh? Royal Bank Cinema. Aha. It's at uh, the minute, Chan Royal Center. Bank Cinema. Oh, yeah. at the Chan Center. It's one of the facilities the Chan Center provides. Is Chan there anything Center. they can't do? No. <laughs> so there's going tomorrow, Thursday, February 9th at 7.30. It's free. Ooh. And uh, I think it holds 160 people. But if you uh, want a seat, you can RSVP to Orgasm 
ink screening at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, the email d- orgasm.com. <laughs> no, that is a different type of mailing list. <laughs> yeah, that is a different mailing list. And the documentary is about. Right, uh, what is this actually about? I can read the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, a filmmaker, Liz Kenner, takes a job editing erotic videos for a drug trial for a pharmaceutical company. Her employer is developing what they hope will be the first Viagra drug for women that wins FDA approval to treat a new disease. (laughs) Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Because that's debatable, of course. Female sexual dysfunction. Liz gains permission to film the company for her own documentary. Initially, she plans to create a movie about science and pleasure, but she soon begins to suspect that her employer, along with other medical companies, might be trying to take advantage of women and potentially endanger their health in pursuit of billion-dollar profits. Orgasm Inc. is a powerful look inside the medical industry and the marketing campaigns that are literally and figuratively... Figuratively. Thank you. Reshaping our everyday lives around health, illness, desire, and that ultimate moment. Interesting. So, yeah, that's happening tomorrow. It's sponsored by the UBC Center of Women's and Gender Studies, mm-hmm. the UBC Critical Studies in Sexuality, and the UBC School of Nursing. So there will be a talk, lecture, slash conference, after debate, mm-hmm. Q&A, after the screening, uh, again, at the Royal Bank Cinema, tomorrow, Thursday, February 9th, 7.30. And also, Pink Ribbons, that Megan suggested I should look into that. Pink Ribbon Inc., Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so another documentary with ink on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, wait a minute. For the ladies. <laughs> it's like a brand. Um, the synopsis, breast cancer has become the poster child of corporate cause-related marketing campaigns. Countless women and men walk, bike, climb, and shop for the cure. Each year, millions of dollars are raised in the name of breast cancer, but where does this money go? Yeah, like when I buy uh, pink toilet paper, is that actually making a difference? To what? those people's budgets in that company, yes. Exactly. Ooh. So this documentary is a uh, documentary that shows how the devastating reality of breast cancer, mm-hmm. which marketing experts have labeled a dream cause, has been hijacked <laughs> by a shiny pink story of success. And that premiered at uh, the Toronto Film, International Film Festival in September and is now showing at Denman Cinemas today at 7, mm-hmm. so in an hour, and tomorrow, Thursday... Again, uh, 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. So, so try to do it tonight and tomorrow, and you've got to learn all about the uh, medicalization and the corporatization of lady problems. Exactly. <laughs> lady lady Looks, business. And what, it's funny, because one, it's an actual disease, mm. and the other one's just a new, like, invented disease. Yeah. So and whether you're sick or not, we can market disease. on you. Hey. <laughs> it's a... It, the idea of medicalizing the, these issues like orgasm, it's on the one hand, there are definitely people out there who have issues uh, mm-hmm. uh, with their physical bodies that prevent them from enjoying many of life's pleasures. But uh, the idea, uh, for example, the there's a, you know, a, a drug for PMMS or P, it, PMSD, whatever the extra PMS <laughs> is. And uh, it's basically re- <laughs> repackaged. Super PMS? Yeah, okay. it, it, it is repackaged. Um, as Prozac. Oh, so, okay. you know, once a brand name expires, a patent expires, then they have to find a new way to make money on it. So they rebrand it, they change the color, they, you know, market it in a different way, they call it something else, um, but really at the end of the day, or they create an issue uh, to then... Um, and, and, and women have been actually subject to this, everything from hysteria, mm. you know, um, so women's sexuality has been a... or not sexuality, but... The, w- yeah, sexuality. Issues, yeah. 
have so, been yeah, manipulated for Manipulated. So I, I'm really excited. That sounds really good. Thank you, Anna, for bringing that up. Cool. Yeah. And uh, so we've reached the end of our program, and maybe we can end off with a few minutes of a song uh, yeah. of your choosing, and Anna. Yeah, because then we'll probably play a CD. Uh, well, we'll find out yeah. what's uh, on after us yeah. uh, while we play the song. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that <clears throat> Real Thrill is not happening today. Okay, so uh, this has been the Arts Report, and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for more uh, arts interviews and uh, and events to tell you about in Vancouver. So um, thanks for listening, and for Megan and Anna and myself. Um, okay. I'm sure. going to say bye-bye, and Anna, tell us uh, what the song is. The song is uh, from Seattle duo The Satisfaction. Mm-hmm. They will release their debut album and uh, through Sub Pop Records, the label that signed Nirvana, um, on March 27th. And this is like a preview, I guess, one of the songs that it's on the album. The title of the song is Queens from The Satisfaction. A they don't need orgasm ink. <laughs> no. It's the satisfaction. <laughs> it's the cure. This is the cure. All, All right. right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Leave your face at the door Turn off your swag And check your bag From your limbs to your timbs Get down But whatever you do
Bring yourself. Bring yourself. The 12th season of the Vancouver International Dance Festival.